What brings a community together? Shared insights? Shared conversations? Welcome to Open Door by Cox Communities, tackling the big questions on the minds of smart community business leaders. Welcome back to Open Door by Cox Communities, where we're providing data for you to consider when making decisions for your multifamily communities. Discover the latest trends and technologies that are making some multifamily business owners stand out. I'm your host, Bess Friedman, CEO of Brown Harris Stevens. Resident demands last year followed the same rapid changes we see in technology at large. The lines between work and home are blurring. Privacy and security concerns are becoming top of mind. New connected technologies and energy management solutions seem to arise every day. These are just a few of the patterns we've seen for MDUs in 2021. And 2022 is shaping up to be a big year for the continued expansion of resident tech expectations. Today, we're going to give you predictions for the most influential trends we expect to see in 2022 and how multifamily business owners can prepare for them. Joining me to discuss is Vice President of Brand Strategy and Consumer Insights at Cox Communications, Brian Stifel, and President and Chief Marketing Officer of Parks Associates, Elizabeth Parks. I'm wondering in your space, how much the impact of the pandemic changed the multi-dwelling, you know, that environment. How do you think that impacted you guys? I'll ask Elizabeth. Sure. You know, uh, we've been studying the the consumer market and watching the impact of the pandemic on people's day-to-day lives. So we've got a lot of research uh, showing that now consumers have a renewed value for various technologies in their homes, whether they're in a single family environment or apartment dwelling. So certainly consumers are embracing technology and I think there's going to be a lot going on in 2022 to watch as we move forward. What do you think, Brian? Any tidbits to share? Absolutely. And thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. There's there's no question to Elizabeth's point that there's any number of ways that technology has played a role in people's lives through the pandemic. And we could start to unpack that with you. I think the other interesting thing is just what it's done to people's attitudes, uh, what they think is most important in life, what they choose to prioritize, what activities they prioritize, what spending they prioritize, what behaviors, and then also how they make decisions and what's important to them, which affects not just the technology in their home, but even what they want their home itself to be like and how they prioritize the places they'd want to live or or how they'd be configured. So I I think all of those things come into play for sure. I think that in the housing space, the pandemic sort of universally made everybody reassess how they live, where they live, what they're doing, what they need. You know, do they want outdoor space? Do they want to move locations? Do they want to renovate? I think because we were all stuck inside and going crazy, a lot of people started to look at that in a different way. And that really jolted our market, which, you know, the real estate market right now is on fire. And it started off in 2022 with a real bang. We're seeing that. Are you guys seeing the same thing? Absolutely. Well, yeah, and I live in Texas. And uh, like we were talking about before, people are moving here. They're really 
loving lots of space, big houses that can get, you know, purchased here uh, with comparative value with California and New York, um, some of the other regions. So it really is a huge opportunity right now to be adding technology into new builds and new dwellings. And so I think broadband as well is going to continue to play such a foundational role in what we and I think many others are calling future proofing in terms of the experience that consumers and businesses can have operationally. Okay, wait a minute. What does future proofing mean? I don't I need a translation. Well, uh, Brian, do you want to take a stab at that one or would you like me to to go for it? I'll give my definition and we'll see how close it comes to yours. When we say future proofing, it is about giving people the peace of mind that they will not be left behind as technology evolves and as their needs evolve. So they want to know that the technology that's in their home can keep up with all the changing use cases that they're going to have. And so in the MDU environment, it's critical that the resident believes that that property is going to keep up with all the different connected devices that they're going to own as an individual and keep up with all the different ways that they want to live while they're in that house. Got it. You guys are taking that into great consideration with everything that you do to make sure you're equipping, you know, people with everything that they need so they have the technology in place. Elizabeth, you recently published a list of the top technology trends to watch in 2022. Talk to us a little bit about connections. What is that? Yeah, absolutely. Different things that we're seeing play out in the market over the last 18 months really have to do with broadband at the foundation. So the applications and services that are enabled as a result of broadband connectivity in the home and the Wi-Fi infrastructure is really creating a new world. We see that consumers are now working at home a lot of the time in many different industries and that this remote work is driving demand for increased bandwidth in the home with broadband. We also have many families with children who might still be doing virtual education or being virtual and in-person, some form of remote schooling. We've also seen a lot of parents doing homeschooling. All of these things that are, you know, major for people require connectivity. And so a lot of the trends that we see are being driven around that blurred lines between work and home, the requirements with schooling, and then really around convenience, safety, and security. And when we look at cost savings, you know, consumers are paying a lot of attention to energy management solutions. So looking at what kinds of products or solutions they could have in their home that would save energy and reduce their own personal carbon footprint. So it's really interesting how there are so many different facets with change and transformation as it relates to technology, consumers and businesses. So it's a real kind of whirlwind that's happening. And certainly broadband services just play such a crucial part of it. So I think we're in the early stages of seeing some incredible growth and scale with technology and consumers at home. I want to talk to you a little bit about this work from home, people going back to work and how that'll play out because I'm here in New York City. That's my home base. I love the city. And what we're seeing in real estate is we're seeing a return to the office 
A lot of people are showing up, coming in, how important that is also for culture and so many things. And although some people can work from home, we've seen that, that it works and you can do that. We're seeing that people are exhausted and sick of working from home and want to come back to an environment that's different. How do you see that playing out? Even at the height of the pandemic, it was only about half the population that was working from home. So there's already a significant percentage that even doesn't have the option. You know, they're retail workers, they're transportation workers, you know, and, and so forth. Of the folks who have more, you know, service sector jobs or, you know, the pure white collar jobs that can be done from home, what we're seeing now is an attitude that says hybrid feels more like the answer than snapping all the way back. So there's very few people who say they don't ever want to go to a workplace, but equally, there's very few people who are now saying they always want to go. And in fact, I think that the latest data I saw said about half the folks who have the choice are saying that they prefer a hybrid answer to an all or nothing answer. So, you know, what does hybrid mean? There's obviously a a wide strike zone there, but you could imagine that's some number of days a week or month that they do go to work because they make human connection and because they feel the culture and the, and the energy and all those things, but they want that home, whether it's a single family home or that apartment home, they want that home to be a place that they can work as well. Yeah. I mean, you have to have that ability because things happen like we saw with the pandemic to be able to do that, to pivot, you know, even in my job, we were able to do everything from home when the offices were shut down. But I will tell you, Brian, that I'm a person that does always every day want to come to work. And there are people that feel that way. But having the hybrid, I think you're right for many people is a great solution in this environment. Well, and I know Elizabeth's team does a lot of work on generational data cuts. And I think that we've learned a lot from what we've read from them that there was already a big push towards, it's not even just the millennial generation now, it's the the Gen Zs behind them who have a fundamentally different expectation of what flexible work looks like. Even before the pandemic, we were already going to be moving in that direction. And I think that the pandemic pushed us further. So it's, it's, it's all in which group we need to accommodate. Uh, I think those of us of a certain age grew up going to work every day and still find a lot of uh, comfort and stability in that. But the, the younger generations, they were already seeing it differently. Is, is that fair, Elizabeth? Yeah, I think uh, you're right on just as younger people, uh, younger demographics use technology in different ways than some of us older folks. I think there is a lean towards that flexibility and choice. That's also showing up in a lot of the technology company solutions for consumers. So in home security, you're now seeing choice and installation. You can do it yourself or you can get a professional installer to come put in that security system. So I think that the world is moving towards kind of this Uberization in the sense of expecting things to be able to happen the way you want them, when you want them, how you want them. And now that is applying to our work environments, which is kind of interesting as companies are trying to navigate their staffing and where they are and and even their buildings and their workforce and, and their properties. You know, how are they going to got lots of new companies who have new headquarters who are, you know, maybe deciding, well, we don't really need this because we're going to be spread out and working at home half the time. And it's really a whole different world to consider. Even in the apartment space, we're seeing consumers ask for 
an office within the apartment, a room that is meant to be an office. 10 years ago, you know, you didn't see consumers asking for that as an amenity, as a feature or an offering from an apartment complex. So there's a lot of change that we're literally in the middle of and that I think is going to play out for really years and, and decades to come. Particularly for the class A space, so that the space that's most likely to be attracting those young white collar workers, there is going to be an expectation that they are able to work from home. And so, I mean, Elizabeth hit on it at the top of the broadcast that has huge implications for the broadband side of things in terms of both the sort of size and capacity of the pipe, that it be reliably fast and that it be always on. I was saying is that the one constant we know is change. It's just always, it's every day, the world, you're, it's never going to slow down again. And I think the beauty of having these, you know, having technology accessible from home and getting the broadband and things that you need. The other day, you know, we have a lot of support and admins and one of our admins had a sick child and is usually here helping people every day. And she was able to service them from home, taking care of her child. So there, there's certain things that are you know, that flexibility is very helpful. It keeps people employed. It keeps them where they need to be sometimes. And at the same time, allows them to work efficiently. And I think that's something that's new. I would have never thought that support people could do their jobs from home, but the pandemic proved to us that they can when they need to. And I think that is sort of turned the lights on for a lot of people. So what changes do you guys think there will be for energy management in 2022? That's a great question. There's so much going on in energy management right now. I mean, there are a lot of factors that are going to impact adoption of any device or solution that can save energy. So we could talk about solar, we could talk about EVs, we could talk about charging stations, devices in the home that are able to be utilized by utilities for demand response, meaning that the utility can gain control of that device and, you know, make it, let's say your thermostat. And this happened in Texas last year when there was no electricity for four days. The utilities, you know, were able to control people's thermostats and turn them down to 59 degrees, whether they liked it or not. And those are the kinds of functionalities that are coming that will really have a huge impact on the grid. And that is going to be driven a lot by the government. So the money that's going to be coming into the space in this year, I think is going to have a huge impact public and private sectors. No doubt. And I think when we think about it at Cox, uh, we think about it in two different ways, particularly in the MDU space. We think about from the resident's point of view, but we also think about it from the property owner's point of view. And if maybe I start there, building on what, what Elizabeth just said, property owners need to manage the cost of vacant units and energy management is a huge part of that. And we've invested a lot in our service offerings that would enable a property manager to control the, the temperature, control the lighting, control the water usage all remotely all digitally. So not only can they control the vacant units, but they can also control their own labor costs. When you put that then on the resident side, the resident is looking to save money, right? It's all the ways that they can save money, but they're also looking for a greater sense of control. 
And one of the interesting things that's come out of the pandemic is that underlying need to be in control of something in my life. There's so many things I'm not in control of. I can turn my thermostat up and down no matter where I am. When you look at the hierarchy of, of the different technologies and what are, the, what are the ones that are tending to rise to the top, the ones that make me feel safe, the ones that give me a feeling of control tend to be the ones that come to the top. And energy management is playing itself out that way in a big way. It's a wonderful thing to be. I remember I, I, my apartment is not equipped this way, but I have a friend who lives on Central Park West and his apartment is set up with all these fancy things. And I remember I was we were going over there and he was like, OK, I'm going to get the air conditioning on. It was a very warm day It all be when we walked in. It was like icy cold. And I was like, that is really a luxury to be able to control and have that. Usually you wait, you got to go in, you got to turn it on. But to have that sort of control really gives the power to the consumer to the homeowner. And that's so incredible today. Correct. And in the early, early days of smart home, I'm going back now, you know, say five years, eight years, the very early adopters, it was all just flash. A lot of the needs that it was serving for those early adopters were less about real use cases in their house and much more about, I get to tell you, I have it first. I got something you don't have, you know, sort of that, that kind of status thing. It's not about status anymore. It's very pragmatic. It is meaningfully enhancing people's lives and they have an expectation of living a digitally connected life. So it's not even just that each of these individual items or individual use cases work out for people, but now they have an expectation of integration and that all these different digital devices work together. And so there's another opportunity for the property managers, not just to equip the homes with all these discrete devices, but to equip the homes with that aggregation and, and integration and something that feels more like a platform to control your life and less like I own 20 connected devices. But is it too much, Brian? I have to ask. It seems like crazy. Like there's, it seems like so much so fast. Is it over the top? Do you think a little bit? Too much for who? It's too much for me because I'm a Luddite. I still read paper books. So do I. I do too. I read the newspaper still. Again, I'll, I'll lean on Elizabeth here. The data that her team has, has provided us has shown us that I, I think folks don't think it's too much anymore. It's becoming much more mainstream at this point. It's, it's not fringe. It's squarely in the middle of how people define what their quality of life looks like. Is that, is that right, Elizabeth? Yep, absolutely. And I would add that the consumers who already have smart home devices, and we do categorize those in a specific way. So we're talking about door locks and doorbells and water leak detectors. You know, a smart speaker uh, is a smart connected entertainment device, but at its heart, it's a speaker. So the consumers who have connected devices in their homes, especially smart home devices, those actually are the consumers who are going out and buying more. And now the average smart home device owner has eight connected smart home devices in their home. It's interesting that the consumer will go out and buy one or two devices and then they're looking to add to it. There does get to be a tipping point around six or seven, six to eight devices actually, where that's when they start looking for the system, for the platform, for the point of integration across all their devices, and perhaps even getting that, that feedback notifications all tied together. I think that is where it gets a little bit more complicated for the industry. Still some things there to, to work out, but there's a lot of major 
hardware and service provider companies who are working on interoperability, integration of products working together, and really creating that ease and simplification for the consumer. So it's coming and in many ways is already here, but still a lot of work to be done. And as familiarity, awareness, and costs continue to increase and the costs come down, I think we'll continue to see adoption. We forecast that by 2025, the average household will have 20 connected devices in their home. And we're currently at 14 on average now. 20 connected devices. What can you break that down for me? What What do you mean by that? Well, the majority of those are going to come from the consumer electronics category, the most mature category. So that's something like a television a router is in that category. 74% of, of households have a home network router, mesh networking, but also the smart home devices. So the doorbells, the door locks, the home security cameras, standalone cameras are also being added as well. So consumers are, I mean, streaming media devices, uh, that's of course getting the OTT, the Netflix types of video services. Now 82% of all households have an OTT service, 46% have four or more services. So, I mean, we really are getting to a subscription service model that consumers are embracing. And that is basically the hardware attaching services. And all of that ends up being enabled by broadband and ultimately the platform behind it that's connecting it all. That's a great way to segue into, as as you know, there's this big broad discussion in our culture today about security uh, and privacy. So how do you see this working together with that? Because, you know, so many people have questions and are, are concerned about that. And how do you see this moving forward within your space? It's a hugely important question. And for the property owners who are listening, really important for them to think about how they're going to configure these systems and these platforms in their units. Because on the on the one hand, they're going to want to have as much uh, visibility as possible. That's how they're going to control what's going on in the unit. That's how they're going to know as property owners, what the health of their property is. But the residents have made it very clear that it makes them uncomfortable that there would be some big brother out there who would be able to see or even take control of things that are inside their unit. So there ends up needing to be a a value exchange that the resident has to feel comfortable that they're giving up certain freedom to that property owner in exchange for benefits they have to feel that those benefits are real. So whether they come in the form of things being bulked and included in their rent and they feel that they're getting that value or whether it's because the property owner is using that ability to see and control you know, as a source for good and benevolence, that, that, that becomes a big, important part of it. The other side, though, it's not just what the property manager can do. It's also just the fear of being hacked and some bad guy out there get into this network and hack the devices that are in my house and God forbid, not just hack the devices, but somehow get at my personal information or, or, you know, do me some harm, whether it's identity theft or financial theft or anything else. So it's really important that you don't buy cheap technology that we, we take very seriously putting technology into these units that is secure, that is hardened and network protected, that does have all of those extra protections that they can then say to their residents, hey, this thing is protected against hacking and and so forth. The, the, The privacy bit is a very big deal. 
I'm glad that Cox takes that seriously because I think that is, you know, people are so concerned about that today. It's such a big discussion. And the fact that you make that a priority is very significant. So I'm glad to hear that. In 2021, we saw renewed efforts for small businesses looking to scale. What predictions, and I'm going to put this towards you, Elizabeth, what predictions can you make about future consolidation as these businesses look for more distribution channels? So as companies enter the market with new solutions, usually they get out of the gate going pretty well, able to get some traction, and then, you know, they want to scale. And Scaling solutions within the connected home is quite a challenge, right? Because it's a very fragmented market. We're talking about consumers who have their individual home preferences and the makeup of every individual or family household is is unique for where they live, what's in their home. And so this small business opportunity continues to grow where we'll see the larger companies attracted to these startups with new solutions that can innovate. You know, it's really hard for some of the larger companies who have legacy systems to be super innovative, you know, simply because they've got, I don't want to call it baggage, but kind of, they've got a lot of baggage that they're working with. And so innovation can be a challenge. So acquiring new companies, adding and extending existing portfolios, I think will continue to be seen, especially in the connected home space. There's a lot of companies coming out with new products and solutions, and it's really a ripe market for acquisitions, also investments. You know, the private equity groups right now see the consumer landscape as this huge opportunity for investment. And it it really is all around the reoccurring monthly revenue, the services that come as a result of the hardware being put into the home. Yeah. Brian, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I think I would just add a couple of things again to the property managers who are listening is particularly in the digital property management space or thinking about the, 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 there's a lot of startups out there who are trying to help property owners and managers use technology to manage their properties more efficiently. They're trying to put all kinds of IoT solutions out there. These guys are really little. A lot of them have some terrific technology, but as Elizabeth said, there's going to be a lot of consolidation in that industry. One of the services that we've really added as part of our MDU offering is helping our clients make sense of that environment. And we will work with them to help them understand who the different players are, help them make choices. We go back to that future-proofing word, help them make choices that feel more future-proof for them as a property. Who is likely to be the winner and loser? Which is the technology that's likely to have the most legs or the most length? Helping them evaluate those technologies so they make sure that they choose ones that will meet the needs they're going to have going forward for interoperability or the needs they're going to have going forward for integration or for security or so forth. So that's a big part of the Cox community's offering is really that complete solution management. So I would encourage them to to reach out to my colleagues if they have questions about those things. Thank you, Brian. As far as technological growth goes, it can be argued both ways, the pros and cons. And in your world, how would you argue that there's a huge value in that sort of growth? And this is a big positive for people. 
From my perspective, I don't actually have all that much tech in my home, although I'm if I added it all up, I may have more than I think given the three kids that I have. Technology adds convenience and security and peace of mind and that sells. You know, people are all about their family, their homes, their assets and being able to protect them and technology can can really play a huge role in that and you know, the households with children, which is about 32 million households in the U.S. who have kids, they're, they're early adopters in general of technology. And it's very easy to understand, you know, a video doorbell. If you're a working mom and you get an alert that your kid's home and you get to see their face and then walk in the door and know that they're there safely, uh, or if somebody rings the doorbell and your kids are home alone, you can talk to the person that the kids don't even ever have to you know, be anywhere and and it can look like your home. These are things that people have a willingness to pay for. And this, the value propositions around connected devices and the multi-platform play, the ability to, you know, watch video on your iPad outside and on the patio because of Wi-Fi, you know, these are things that that people want and and show large, large amounts of investment in. So I was saying the other day, you know, I don't think I could get through the day without broadband. I, I mean, really, <laughs> between my job and my home life and my children, if I didn't have broadband, I would be really lost. And I think there's many, many people in, in the United States and across the world who really are looking at broadband as that fourth utility. It's like, it's like water. It's like electricity. It's been, I've heard executives say it's like air. It's like oxygen. Wi-Fi and broadband are integrated into our daily lives and not just once a day, it's it's throughout the entire day. It's just going to keep growing more and more. And companies, of course, like Cox, helping lead the way in, in creating that experience for consumers and businesses. Andrew Yang, who, who ran for mayor here in New York, I, mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Uh, he didn't win. Eric Adams won. But we interviewed him. One of the things that he spoke a lot about was his frustration with the fact that so many New Yorkers did not have broadband, did not have access to it. You know, and that was a real frustration because it's so limiting. So I think that is such a good point because people have gotten used to it. We need to hopefully have people get access to broadband. It's such an important part of life now. Well, it is indeed. And, and Cox takes that obligation very seriously. And we have many, many initiatives underway to ensure that we get the fastest, most reliable internet service available to the most folks possible. Thinking about the question you just asked Elizabeth too about growth. When we study consumers, in this case, you know, MDU residents specifically, none of these devices are, you know, whiz bang. All of these devices are being adopted because they fill a need. And Elizabeth spoke about several of those needs. Top of the list in connected devices is safety and security. And there's a whole range of devices that really address needs that people have to feel safe, both physically safe and for their house to feel secure. The second is, this is now the primary way that many people get their entertainment. So it's a huge a lifestyle play. It is now how many people address their physical health and well-being. So whether it's, you know, exercise and physical fitness, whether it's wellness and all those sorts of things, it plays out there. 
it plays out really meaningfully for people in stretching their budget. So all of this technology helps them save money, particularly in this very odd, I guess, pandemic and supply chain induced inflation remains to be seen. If this is uh, short term inflation or long term inflation, I won't make any political statements, but it's while we're living it, you know, rents have gone up. Cost of living has gone up and folks need to stretch their dollars and the technology that's rising to the top is is the stuff that helps people to do that the most. It's all about facilitating lifestyles. And as people's lifestyles have been pivoting, both through the pandemic and the trends that we were already seeing beforehand, all of these connected devices that live on this very important broadband network are all enabling people to to do that. So I, I know, you know, when people read the articles coming out of CES, sometimes it all just looks science fictiony or highly unnecessary. You know, let's look at the blinky lights. But I, I, I think when you separate the hype from what people are actually buying, the things that people are buying are linked very closely to these very basic needs and the way that this connected technology is able to deliver on those needs really meaningfully enhances people's lives. And that that's what's so cool to me about what's happening in the MDU space is that those property owners can make the promise, if you live here, your life will be more enhanced than if you live somewhere else. And so putting in those kinds of platforms, putting in those kinds of amenities can actually be a differentiator versus properties that don't have them, not for its Buck Rogers or, or Star Trek promise, but really for the for the quality of life enhancement. Thank you so much for that, Brian. And in just in, in closing, how would you guys specifically speak to how multifamily business owners how can they embrace this growth that we're talking about? Well, from my view, I think there's a lot of education that needs to be done. And, you know, even uh, conversations like this, I think, can help bring the topic to the forefront. But educating people on what the technologies are, what the value is, and how that can impact operations and also impact the consumer experience. I mean, these apartment owners, they're, they're also businesses, so they're looking out for their bottom line, but they're also looking for retention and good feedback from the experience of the people who are living there. And, you know, technology really is, is a way to, to accomplish both. 100%. This is a smart business decision. The property owners who invest in property IoT and in creating smart apartments as well as smart communities, they're going to save on the labor side. They're going to save on the property management cost side, but they're also going to see improvements on the top line because there's lots of evidence that this facilitates rent premiums in addition to improving retention. So there's a very real financial benefit to doing this before you even get to how do they, uh, on the more altruistic side, improve the quality of life of the folks who are living in their property. So it's, it's very much a win-win for the property managers and for the residents. I can't thank you both for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Cox Communities, to Brian and Elizabeth for everything. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day and we'll see you soon. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the invitation.
Thanks so much to Brian and Elizabeth for joining us today and peering into the crystal ball with us at the biggest tech trends we can expect in 2022. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate and leave a review or subscribe if you haven't already so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bess Friedman, and this has been Open Door, brought to you by Cox Communities. Cox Communities.